If you have your Bibles with you, if you would turn with me to Isaiah chapter 40, we're going to read verses 1 through 5. Comfort, comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and proclaim to her that her hard service has been completed, that her sin has been paid for, and that she has received from the Lord's hand a double for all of her sins. A voice of one calling into the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord and make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be raised up and every mountain and hill be made low. The rough ground shall become level and the rugged places a plain and the glory of the Lord will be revealed and all people will see it together for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. Will you join me in prayer? Father God, as we open your word, God, we ask that your presence would be known in this place. That we would not just hear the Sunday morning words that we're accustomed to hearing, that we would not see this as a passage of scripture that we have read hundreds of times, that we would not consider this as just a part of an Advent service, but God, we would hear the declaration that you made to your people, that we would see the promise that you gave to those who would follow after you. God, may your words speak to us. May you block out all things that distract us. May we hear you this morning. And may your words lead us on the path to everlasting life. We pray this in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Theologian G.K. Chesterton once said that when belief in God becomes difficult, the tendency is to turn away from him. But in heaven's name, what will we turn to? As we think about Advent, one of the things that we have to face each year is that we are subscribing to a story that makes no sense. The idea that a creator who created all things for a purpose and did so with joy as his only goal and to pour out his blessings on all that were created, it makes no sense when we look at the condition of humanity and the things that we see and the things that we experience on a day-to-day -day basis. I've told you all this several many times, that we live in the best time of human history, that according to all data and all sources that have done any research, your chances of being involved in a violent crime are less now than they've ever been. Your chances of being financially destitute are less now than they have ever been. And you say, well, Matt, if you look at the news, that would, that would say that you're a liar. But if you would pick up a history book and read, you will see that I'm telling the truth. The reality of it is, is that many of us in this room will not experience a lot of the things that the news shows happening in the world every day. The reality of it is, is that for most of us, we will never deal with a lot of the hardships that people across the world deal with every single morning when they open their eyes. But yet for some reason, we all tend to fail at believing who God is and trusting that God has given us a promise. 
I want to share with something you something with you that I, I found when I was reading this week. Um, and usually I don't try to quote things this long, but it, it did a perfect job of explaining what we're going to look at today as we go back to Isaiah's story. David Hume, the Scottish skeptic and philosopher, defended his idea of skepticism dramatically when he wrote, "Were a stranger to suddenly drop into this world, I could show him a specimen of all its ills. Hospitals full of diseases, prisons crowded with malefactors and debtors, fields strewn with human bodies and carcasses, and fleet founder, fleets foundering in the ocean after war. I could show you nations languishing under tyranny, famine, or pestilence. Honestly, I don't see how you could possibly square any of that with an idea that there is an ultimate purpose of love. By all the things that I just spoke to you, we just saw how, Isaiah, how Isaiah's Israel was feeling when he came to them as a prophet. For them, their world had been destroyed. Their city lay in ruins. Their people had been taken off into exile. And everything that they had known and they had trusted that God would do in their life was now nowhere to be seen. And it seemed as though God had gone away and had left them to their own devices. And I know that many of us have felt this way in life from time to time. Perhaps after a tornado when you had lost some things that you had worked your whole life for, you wondered where God was in the midst of that. Perhaps a lifetime of choices and decisions that didn't work out have now caught up with you and have put you in a place where you never thought you would be. That is exactly how Israel was thinking when the prophet Isaiah wrote these words of Isaiah chapter 40. But we see something different in this chapter than we've seen up until this point in Isaiah's message. Up until this point, Isaiah had been telling Israel that all of these things had happened because they were the ones that had turned away from God. That because they had chosen to not allow God to influence their decisions and their choices and the way that they lived, that because they had made God something of a cultural expectation instead of the purpose for which they were trying to accomplish each day, that life had turned out the way that it was. Now, fortunately, what's happening to them is not happening to us right now. We're not in exile. We're not in a foreign land where we are living as prisoners of war. But the heart that Israel is experiencing, the emotions that they are experiencing, is much like we experience. It is very easy to look at the world and to become overwhelmed. It is very easy to try and make our place in this world and be filled with anxiety and worry. That's part of living in brokenness. That's part of living in a world that needs to be redeemed. But in Isaiah chapter 40, Isaiah's tone changes. And he has a new message for the people. And he says, comfort, comfort my people, says your God. This declaration from God to his heavenly hosts to go out and give the words of promise of comfort. 
where God had once spoken to them harshly because of the ways that they have fallen short. He now says, speak tenderly to them and proclaim to them that their service has been completed. Scholars took this idea of this hard service where many people have translated that into their time of conflict, their time of war. But in reality, what Isaiah was communicating is that their time of exile, their time of separation from God, their time of living as prisoners of war with no identity, with no purpose, with no hope, with no change of their circumstances. He said, now this time is done and their sins have been paid for. So in ancient Israel, there was a law of restitution that when you wronged somebody, not only did you have to pay them a recompense for what you either stole or broke or took or whatever, but you had to pay them double. So if you stole 10, you had to give 20. If you stole one cow, you had to give two cows. But here, what we see in God's message to Israel is that even though Israel was the one that had transgressed God, and when we say transgress, we don't mean they intentionally went against God. Sometimes what Israel did, they did it because everybody else around them was doing it. They did it because it was convenient. They did it because that was what was easiest for them in the moment. But here we see that even though Israel was the ones that had transgressed God, God says that he has paid for their sin and he has taken upon himself to double what they will receive. So the, the one who was wronged was the one th that paid the restitution, but then gave them even more. Friends, that is the story of Jesus Christ. That our sins had separated us from God. And not only did God take it upon himself to forgive us our sins and to separate us from them and what we earn as a result of them, but then he gave us life abundant on top of that. Sometimes we pray just to break even in life, don't we? Farmers, you've had those years where you're like, God, if I just make it this year, I'll be okay. Saw a lot of videos on TikTok this year of these farmers in their combine, and they're like, it's just straight profit from here on out. And they drive, and then they pan up, and you see they've got about 20 foot of row left, and they're done. So all in all, they make profit about 200 bucks. That's what they're saying. Sometimes that's how life goes, isn't it? We just want to break even. God, you don't have to do a miracle. Just let me make it. But that's not the promise that God gives us. He says, your sins have been paid for. And as a matter of fact, I'm going to give you more than that. You will receive double for all your sins. So the redemption that God offers in Jesus Christ is sweeter than the suffering. Remember, Paul said something about that one time. He said, the things that we endure now are not even worth comparing to what God has in store. How many of us approach Monday morning like that? I sure don't a lot of times. We don't ever go, God, today's going to be terrible, but I know it's nothing compared to what you got going on. We don't do that, do we? We just go, God, it's terrible. Just let me make it. Just let me survive. Who would subscribe to that idea of faith? I just want to get by, God. That's what happens when you drive a 1987 Tempo. You just get by. God never promised anybody a 1987 Tempo. He said abundant life. He said double the best that you could think of. He said double that. 
And he says, a voice of one calling in the wilderness, prepare a way for the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. We know who that is, don't we? We know John the Baptist. So Isaiah is talking about things that are happening in before, before they even happen. Every valley be raised up, every mountain and hill made low. The rough ground shall become level and rugged places become a plain. And the glory of the Lord will be revealed for all people to see it together. For the mouth of the Lord has spoken. Let me tell you a little bit about what's going on here. Israel's in exile. It's during the reign of King Hezekiah. And what we see God here doing is God is bringing every part of their situation to show them this beautiful picture of how God works despite what is happening. And his promise is more powerful than the things that can affect us now. So while they're in Babylon, you know, you have all, all the, the gods and all the deities that Babylon worships. And during this time when Isaiah is seeing these things, um, God actually tells them to test these gods. So not only is God showing that he's going to save them and he's going to give them more than they got, God is going to prove his existence and the fact that all other gods besides him are things made up purely out of our desire for something bigger to worship. Every person that's ever walked the earth wants something bigger than themselves to depend on. But it's something about the God who created history and created the world that when he tells us to humble ourselves and to listen to him, we don't really like that. So instead, they created idols that they can control. And if something didn't work out, they could question it away. Well, you know, this God is a God of the spring and it's fall. So we're going to create this other God over here and he's going to take care of this. But what Isaiah does here is he takes this language that we read every Advent. In Sunday school, you might actually memorize it. And he is doing something to show them that even though they are living in the midst of a different culture, they're living in a wilderness culture, that God is going to do something amazing. When he says, make straight a highway in the desert. Did you know, did you know they had highways back then? So in Babylon, the custom was that when they got ready to celebrate one of their gods, they would actually build uh, this grand road throughout the cities uh, of their kingdom. And they would parade these images of these gods through these cities. And people would come and would pay homage to all these things. And get this, in the midst of their exile, in the midst of their wilderness, God says, get ready. Prepare a highway because I'm about to do something amazing. And people need to see it. But the reality of it is, is for many of us, we fail to create a highway for which God can travel. We fail to order our lives and listen. Remember last week, the point of the message, shut up and listen. We fail to order ourselves in our lives in such a way that, that God can travel, that God can do things. But instead, we set up roadblocks and, and where God says, make straight a highway in the desert, in the wilderness, in the exile for your God to move. When God says every valley will be raised up and every mountain will be made low and every rough ground will become level and the rugged places will become as a plain. Instead, we're like, you know, I, I kind of prefer hills. You know, the beach has sand, the desert has sand. 
can't be that bad. We'll just stay in the desert. Rough ground's not that bad. And we try to traverse this terrain of faith, of living in the world, instead of ordering things to where all that is is pushed aside, we, we prefer to keep the rough stuff. And then when God doesn't show up the way that we think he should, then we say, oh, well, God must not be real. Oh, well, Jesus must not truly be divine. Oh, well, Jesus must not really be the son of God born of a virgin because that's not possible. We're just going to overshadow that because some patristic dude decided that would give him a little bit more authority. And we question away the things that God has told us to trust and believe in faith, the things that set that God apart from all the other gods that we create, that we can stomach, that we can digest. Remember how God introduced himself to the people? When Moses said, how am I supposed to tell them who you are? He said, I am he. I am. You could never come up with the words, Moses, because I am. I'm greater than that. And the moment that God stops becoming bigger than I am for you, it means that you are turning to something else for answers. It means that you are trusting in something else for direction. It means that you are elevating something else as a priority over the God who promises you double for forgiveness. The God who promises you blessing instead of condemnation. So in Advent, we hope for peace. Every single one of us in here wants peace. So my watch here tracks my sleep at night. And I can go back in there and I can pull up months at a time of sleep. And I can tell you the days that I had something on my mind that I couldn't let go of. Because instead of being a green bar that shows seven plus hours, it's a blue bar and it's like two or three hours. I didn't really get to sleep till like three in the morning, two in the morning. Sometimes it logs no sleep. We try to live life that way because we want a God who is easy to believe in. But the reality of it is, is we live in a broken world. There's darkness that each one of us will experience. Some of us are in situations where we don't see a way out. Each one of us can probably recall a time in our life where we felt that God was distant that he had no idea nor any care whatsoever of what we're going through. But what we see in Isaiah's message, what we see in the Advent season of preparing for the birth of Jesus Christ is we see a God who is more than punishment and judgment. And some of us, we really like to hang on those two things. It makes us feel comfortable when we can look at somebody else and know that God is judging them. But that's not what we see in the Advent season. We see a God who says, speak comfort to my people. We see a God who walks with his people through their exile. We see a God that in the midst of an exile moment of destruction and desolation and brokenness, we see a God that says, you have no reason to fear. 
because I am still with you. And you know what God did for Israel throughout their time in exile? He continued to show them that even though their decisions got them to this place, that he would not abandon them, that he would bless them, that he would bless their children, even in a foreign land. And so for you and me, as we prepare for the birth of Jesus Christ, we have to get ourselves to a point where we realize that just because things aren't going the way that we think they ought to, that God has not finished working, that God has not abandoned his promise, and that even God can take those things which the world says are for our destruction and our downfall, God can take them and reveal himself to us in such a way that we could never imagine. We see that God is a God who walks with his people and through the birth of Jesus Christ will let nothing stand in the way of somebody coming to God and experiencing the renewal and redemption that he promises. So we are called to trust and God is our comforter and God is our shepherd who is to guide us. And just like Bathsheba in the video, when we hear his voice and we respond, then he leads us to greener pastures. But sometimes we have to be able to trust him to do it in the ways that he chooses. Nobody ever would have expected God's redemption story to start through the birth of a baby. Nobody would ever expect Revival in God's people to start through the destruction of a church building. Nobody would ever expect God to give somebody their identity through a time of displacement. So my challenge for you is this, this Advent season. To trust in the promises of God more than the situation that is before you. To believe that he is your comforter and your guide more than you see the destruction and the brokenness around you. But then also, as Isaiah told the people of Israel, the faith that God calls them to is not one of idle existence. But it is one to take up their place as watchmen, as people who sit on the wall to announce the coming victory of the God who will come and do away with their captors. The one who has come to conquer death. So in Advent, we see this great reversal of the human picture. So my challenge for you is this. In this Advent season, instead of making much of your circumstance, instead of working to make your spot in society or this world, to make much of Jesus Christ in every single thing. When you speak, let your words count. Give them purpose. Don't speak emptily. When you do things, do so with intention. 
you have the message of the Messiah. We wait for God's given purpose, for God's love, for a new story and a new beginning. Will you join me in prayer? Father God, you are the Lord of hosts. And just as you were the God of Israel in Isaiah's time, you are our God now, enthroned above the world, the only God that exists outside of human creation. And of all the kingdoms and the authorities of this world, you are the only one to have power over life and death. You made heaven and you made earth. And in the darkness of our world and our loneliness and our brokenness, it's very easy to lose sight of you. It's easy to question whether or not you exist. And when we fail to understand what you are doing, it's very easy for us to grasp at a quick answer at a cheap answer that doesn't require sacrifice, that doesn't require waiting, that doesn't require uneasiness. But God, even in our impatience, in our laziness, you call us to a faith to trust you and to follow you. And you gave us your word to comfort us in a way that shows us your character and your intentions. So God, as we live in your word and we submit ourselves to the way that you have called us to live, we ask that you would strengthen our faith and that we would see it as a highway to be traveled, knowing that through the life and the death of Jesus Christ, you've taken out every hill and every valley and when the road before us looks rough, when we trust in you with faith, we know that you will smooth over those things. When things seem impossible, God, it is through your grace you make them possible. Through your Holy Spirit, you've prepared each one of us for the journey. Help us to trust in you in this Advent season and to follow you in new ways that perhaps we never have before. We pray this in the name of God, our Father, in the name of Jesus Christ, our Savior, and in the name of the Holy Spirit, so that we might not go alone. Amen.